Welcome to One to Watch Wednesday, featuring independent and emerging artists and bands from across Canada and their songs. My name is Sarah Scott. Thanks so much for hanging out today. In the spotlight this week is British Columbia's Danny Strong. She is a multi-award winning artist and songwriter with a very infectious stage presence. Of course, in this episode, you are going to get to know her a lot better and how she has earned her reputation as a very talented, hardworking indie, both on and off the stage and about how she was working some stints as the only female crew member on the tour of some pretty big Canadian rock bands. We also talk about the fact that she's had her music on Netflix and Amazon Prime featured films, about the diversity in all of her songs and how she fancies herself a fairly diverse writer and where all of her inspirations come from, from all genres and all walks of life and everything in her life. And also, we talk about a song-stealing scandal that really started to put her into the spotlight. And so much more. This was the best conversation. It was so fun. And of course, you're going to hear two of her amazing songs. She sings and her latest, Slow Down. Well, I'm pretty darn excited for this episode, so let's get right on into it. All right. So, Danny, first off, thank you so much for being a part of One to Watch Wednesday. This is so fun just to talk with you as you, as a musician and songwriter. This is so exciting. And of course, you have some brand new music out. You got some concerts coming up and a tour on the way, which we're going to be talking about here soon. But first, we have to start from the very beginning. Where did your love of music start? It was, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, gosh, my music, this is actually pretty funny because legitimately my love for music started with the trombone in grade seven. Oh my goodness, that is 100% so true. And you know, when you just pick your instrument in grade seven, I was going to Carlin Elementary in Tappan, BC. Yeah. Pick the trombone. And it was so funny because I picked the trombone. I came home with the trombone. My dad promptly went out and bought me a guitar. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically what happened. He was like, yeah, you're going to be playing this one. (laughs) And then it never stopped from there. Literally. I, I loved all music, went to university for jazz trombone, but the whole time I was writing songs on guitar. I love the fact that you still stuck to the trombone. Did you grow up in a very musical family? Or? Not even a little. Zero music in my family. My grandma played piano and I used to be obsessed with it when she lived with us on the farm for a little while and had her piano there. And she she actually read music, which I don't. Piano is my favorite instrument and the one I play the most, but I don't. Like I can read music, but not like if you put piano music in front of me, I definitely can't read both clefs very quickly, but I used to be obsessed with watching my grandma. She would play Don't It Make Your Brown Eyes Blue by Crystal Gale. And I remember just being sitting there for hours and hours watching her. That is so cool. So when did you kind of figure out that you wanted to do this as a living and be a musician? Hmm. In university, I was going to university and, and like, you know, I had been in bands and stuff and I never considered myself a singer, to be very honest. My, actually, this ties into my single, but my best friend in high school, Candace was always the singer. She, you know, she had the beautiful voice. She won all the competitions and, and I would write ridiculous songs. You know what I mean? I would just write silly songs about us partying or whatever in high school. And, and I would back her up and I would sing harmonies to Candace. And so I never really thought that I would be, you know, the artist. She was the artist. And I went to university, as I said, so I left BC after grad, went to Toronto to York University and was in there. Long story short, Candace passed away of meningitis and it was quite devastating. Obviously she, you know, I lived with her in high school and, and she was the star and I, and I had chosen to go to university for jazz, but when Candace passed away, you know, in hindsight, you know, I felt like I was kind of okay. You know, it was sad, but in hindsight, I was pretty messed up. And so I dropped out of university to be a rock star. So thank you, Candace. It was her fault. You know, like I was just, I think I was kind of just unraveling to be quite honest. I joined a band. I was like this 18 year old kid in this band with some 40 year old men (laughs) and it was ridiculous. And then, but I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. He let me play his 1967 Les Paul custom. I fell in love with that. And then we played some rock shows 
I just started writing more and more and more. And then I went on tour. I was teaching at this music center and the people that owned the music center were going on the road. They also managed I Mother Earth and Clark Nova at the time. And they went out on the road with Theory of a Dead Man and I Mother Earth and Clark Nova and the owner of the, well, the manager who, who is now my best friend said, do you want to come out on the road? And do you want to like, see what this is really about? <laughs> so I was the only girl, like I was like, I think I was 19 at the time because I was allowed to get into the venues, but just, and just like, oh man, it was the craziest experience ever, like living on a tour bus. And that was, I think the, the deal. That actually kind of ties into my next question though. So yeah, you did work some short stints as the only female crew member on the tour for some pretty big Canadian rock bands, like you just mentioned. So what did you take away from that experience and how did you bring it into your career as a musician? I vividly remember feel, my feeling about this. I vividly remember being astonished at how hard the work was and, and not like, yeah, you know, there was some physical label labor for sure. Like I wasn't, I wasn't the girliest of girls. <laughs> you can ask my husband who, who was in one of the bands I toured with as well. Like, you know, I was like this tomboy for sure. And, you know, I, I wasn't scared of working, but it was like the amount of hours you put in as crew. So on that particular tour. So when I was with theory of a dead man and I'm other than Clark Nova, you know, I, I was doing merch for Clark Nova. I was doing hospitality. So basically like when you arrive at the venue, you make sure that there are riders in the room. You make sure that they have basically have everything that they need, like to just hang out. Cause it's a lot of hanging out, right? You arrive at the town, the band will go do radio and then come back to the venue. Just like you just waiting for the crew to finish their job and like loading in and loading out gear. But like, you're usually arriving in your city around like 10 AM or 11 AM, depending on your drive. And then you're just like working all day. Then basically you rest while the, the bands are playing. And then it's like back to work when they're done. And, and it's like super late. And I just remember being like, man, if I ever make it, if I ever get big and famous, I'm going to like pay my crew the most in the world. <laughs> I remember being like, I'm going to be so nice to anybody I work with in this industry. And <laughs> now I haven't, you know, I haven't had the opportunity. The industry's changed quite a bit, you know, since the two th early 2000s or whenever that was. And, you know, there's not necessarily a lot of tour bus tours right now, especially for me, but I'm certainly nice to myself in the van as I drive alone to my shows. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that tour and I treat myself really well now. <laughs> That is so fun. I absolutely love that. So you also got your start in a bit of a different way. And I didn't know this story, but you had a song theft scandal and you mentioned in a previous interview that, you know, it was your biggest break or a great opportunity in your music career so far. And it was a girl that stole your song and entered it into a TV talent show in the U.S. So tell us what happened. That is just wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't make that stuff up. <laughs> yeah, so 2015, Grant and I were actually like ready to be done. So like quick, you know, backstory, my husband was in a rock band called The Salads and he's got 10 years on me. So, you know, I was out chasing him around <laughs> for a while. So I kind of like had, I had been in the industry for a long time since I was like out of high school. I just loved it, but, but it's a grind, you know, it's a grind as I just said. And, and Grant, I mean, gosh, he had, he had been in the grind for years and it was like, it's pretty exhausting. And we had just had our first child or actually our second child. But um, anyway, things were, things were just like, life was kind of rolling and both of us were musicians and we're like, oh my gosh, we just like brought a child into the world. We should maybe smarten up and get real jobs. Like, I don't know what's happening. And so we had made the decision in 2015 that we were going to sell our house in Barrie, Ontario and move out to BC because I have always wanted to come back to BC. This is like where I grew up, born in Ontario, raised in BC. So they've always been my home provinces, but I just wanted to get back to the mountains. And January 9th, I can remember this like it was yesterday. It was like January 9th. 2016 at this time, I believe we had listed, signed the real estate papers. We we're like, we're doing this. We're going to go West. We're going to throw in the towel. And uh, which was sad. Grant had his shot, but I really hadn't taken mine. Just wasn't, you know, I was just doing the grind in bars at the time playing four nights a week. And I wake up in the morning and this is like, you know, still Facebook world. 
And I open up my Facebook and there's this message. I get, actually, it was an email to start from this producer of a television show called Do I Have a Hit Song based out of Florida. And they were like, oh, we, I don't even remember what it was. It's some random thing. Like some person is on in your, our show and she has your song and we need you to contact us. And I kind of laughed because there was a time there for a good year, maybe two, where if you were an independent artist, you would get inundated with emails from people from the States saying, oh, I'm so-and-so from LA. And if you just send us $200, we'll make you famous, <laughs> you know, like all the time. And, and so I just like got in the habit of just not reading really anything, but I did forward this one to my producer and I said, oh my goodness, check out this guy. Like, ha ha, basically. I forwarded it to my producer who is like one of my best friends in the world and did the work on this record. And it wasn't even a record. It's just a couple songs. And while he's reading the email, I open my Facebook and I have a message from some random lady who says, hi, I represent this artist and she's just been busted for singing your song on a talent show in Florida. <laughs> and I'm like, what on earth? This can't be real. Then Dan, my producer, emails me back. He's like, holy crap, Danny. I just went to their website. This chick is on their website. And then so it's like it puts the contestants that are on the talent show. So it's like, you know, like an American Idol or whatever. This one was called Do I Have a Hit Song? So it was like you submit your original music. And it had her picture. And then you could click play. And my song played. It was so weird. So I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I'm laughing because of course everything's a joke to me. And so I like posted on Facebook, like lighthearted. I linked to the website and I'm like, ha ha ha, check out this broad <laughs> who, just, <laughs> who just made it on this TV show with my song. And I'm like thinking it's kind of funny. And then it was like, not funny in, in a hurry because I've had, I have a lot of amazing longtime fans that have been on this entire journey with me. So they're, you know, they're in the Facebook world and they know how long I've been pushing at this time. And they started Googling her name, getting just all of the stuff she had done with my song and sending it to me and texting it to me and posting it. And it was way beyond, way beyond that television show. What happened was the show busted her. And she had already, so she made all the rounds that it takes. Like you have to audition and then you go to second round or whatever. She made all the rounds, got on a friggin' plane. Somehow she's getting on this plane going, I got this. <laughs> Flies to Florida. She gets to Florida and it's like Drew Copeland from the band Sister Hazel. I don't know if you remember the 90s band Sister Hazel. He was the host of the show. She gets on the plane and, you know, is on stage. There's a band. So the band has learned all the songs that the contestants, that these finalists had submitted. They're hosting the show and they're filming. So they're pre-taping the show to air on television. And she gets on stage and cannot sing. So let me clarify. When you went beside her name and pushed play, it wasn't her singing my song. It was literally my song. Like it was what? me. <laughs> yes. She just took my recording and called it hers. <laughs> so she kept submitting the recording and she got there and had to friggin' perform it. I have the footage of this that I'm not supposed to have, but obviously <laughs> it's the coolest thing I own. <laughs> the band stopped twice to like let her get, get her bearings. They're like, oh, maybe she's nervous, blah, blah, blah. And they stopped the show. And then finally, like they could tell something was up. And Drew came out on stage, the host, and like interrupts. And he's like, it's okay, like, like let's take a minute. He's like, so tell me about the song. And he starts like investigating while recording. He's like, so who played on this song in the studio? And she like cuts him off and says, I did. I played everything. <laughs> He's like, you played everything on the recording? She's like, yep. He's like, drums, bass. She's like, drums, bass, guitar, piano. Like she lists all of the instruments on it. It was unbelievable. And then like could not sing. So basically, I guess, so I heard the lawyer from the television show had heard all the songs before the contestants flew to Florida to film the final show. And so he's a good friend of mine now, like a very, very good friend because he became a fan. He loved this song so much so that he invited this other producer from the States and said, you got to come and watch this girl. I think she's going to win the show. This is how the story goes. I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back. Yeah, yeah. He told me this. <laughs> and so he's, he tells me the story later. He's like, Danny, like, 
we were eating lunch and we raced back to the studio to watch this girl perform. And it was such a train wreck. And we knew something was up because it's not an easy song. By the way, it's my song called Time to Breathe, which is the title track of my record that came out that went number one on iTunes. <laughs> so he's like, it was the craziest thing. He's like, and I guess the producer for the show, his wife wouldn't let it go. She's like, something's up. And in bed that night, she was Googling the lyrics to the song, which is the only thing that brought them to me. And it was a song that I wasn't going to do anything with. Cause as I told you, we had pretty much decided to quit, to give up. You know, she's Googling the lyrics to this song and she landed on my reverb nation. Do you remember that? Oh yes. Yeah. (laughs) So it was reverb nation that I guess I had posted my lyrics. I hadn't logged into that platform for like years. So I didn't think to have it down. And it was the only song that I had on my reverb nation that was available for download. And so that's how she got it. And then basically the rest is history. They kind of, I got in a little bit of a squabble with them because obviously they struck gold, right? All of a sudden they have this crazy story. Publicists from New York City and LA were calling me and I I just was like nervous because of all of the things that my friends and fans had been sending me going, look what else she did. Look what else. She had radio airplay in Ontario. So get this. She's from Ontario. She's from Canada. She's from Hamilton. It got scary because so there was like a YouTube there was a, it's from Patrice Whiffen, actually, who I'm friends with now. She's a big part of the Canadian country music industry. She interviewed her on, and played her on radio. And she does radio interviews. So I'm listening to on YouTube. Okay, I'm sorry. I have to back up a tiny bit. She gets busted on the show. They send her home. So I find out while she's on a plane coming home. This is the only reason I got to see absolutely everything she did with my song. Because the second her plane landed... She deleted everything. So this is how I found the YouTube video. And I'm listening to this radio interview about my song. <laughs> and she's, and the craziest part is she said, this isn't even funny. She said, um, yeah, I, there is a little girl in my city that passed away and I wrote it for her parents. And I was like, what? that everything was like, whoa, okay, this is way too much. This family thinks this song was written about their little girl, which I don't even know why she picked that. The song's about me being on Nashville Star. <laughs> like <laughs> nothing to do with anything. Like, and you wouldn't even know that it's about Nashville Star. Like I did a pretty good job of hiding that. But like, if I'm being honest, that was, I, you know, I was driving home from being on Nashville Star with Casey Musgraves, that whole journey. But I kind of like made it metaphorical and whatever, but definitely not in the realm of a lost child. And so it just got really, really weird. I started to get a little weirded out even to go play shows and stuff because I was like, is this broad going to be here? Like, what is up with this? So all of this PR is happening and the show is trying to play me off as quote unquote Nashville star. So they did all these interviews with me and then they were like showing me and it's like every time they showed my face, it was the big scandal, right? They were like, who's the actual singer was like the commercial they were doing. And it said, Danny Strong, Nashville star. And then this girl's name, Hamilton, Ontario. And I was like, this is ridiculous. They're trying to play me off as an American so they can get better ratings. Like I knew that that's what they were doing. They didn't want us both to be Canadian. And so I was just kind of like pretty angry at them. I was like, you can't call me Nashville star. I didn't win Nashville star. (laughs) I was just on it. (laughs) Like, you know, like everything about this is just stupid. But yeah, so there you go. That's my really long, ridiculously crazy story. And then finally, I reached out to the fellow I told you about earlier, Zeke, um, who manages these bands that I had been on tour with. And I said, Zeke, I think I might need management. Like, I don't know how to deal with this. I publicist calling me. And he said to me, I'll never forget. He goes, Danny, if you ever had a time to take a shot at music, it's right now. He's like, you finally have a story. <laughs> I was like, what? Man, I've been writing songs for years. I haven't had stories. I'm like, and he's like, no, you have a real story now. He's like, now's the time. All right. I talked to Grant, my husband, and I, I said, I think we need to make a record. I think we need to do the real thing. Give us a real, real shot. And if it doesn't work, then we'll throw in the towel. And he was like, okay. And so we got a home equity loan on my house, on our house. And with it, with no word of a lie, they actually like turned our power off the week we were in the studio. <laughs> yeah, we're so broke. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, we recorded the album and put every, absolutely everything we had into it to take this real shot, as they say. And and here I am today, still in the music industry, you know, and pretty amazing. You know, we had made the decision to throw in the towel and I think God was like, nope. <laughs> well, you're still in the music industry and I'm assuming she's not. So I don't think she is. She's got some crazy stuff, man. Like she's done some wild things. I wasn't the only artist she did that too. So, so yeah, that sounds like a roller coaster of a story and that had many different twists and turns, but onto some more positive things here. You've had many influences over your career and over your lifetime. And you said for your lifetime, it's Tom Petty and Sheryl Crow. And in the past 10 years, Miranda Lambert and Dua Lipa, which you is pretty You are cool. unbelievable <laughs> with your research. I can't believe it. Yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> okay. And I just think that is so cool. And I love that the music industry these days, like we're not bound to like, or listen to a certain genre or be inspired by just one genre. We can do whatever we want these days. So tell us about your influences over the years and why did they inspire you and how do you put their sounds into your sounds and make them your own from your own inspiration from them? Oh, I love this question. So, I mean, I'm definitely known to not stick in my genre. <laughs> I have a very hard time even like defining it, which is why the record that my last record was called undefined. You know, I'm a storyteller at the end of the day, which is just such a beauty and country is so welcoming country is pretty much all genre. Now I find with a country mix, which I'm not knocking it. Like I, I, I love country. Like, in fact, Alison Krauss was a really, really big part of my, when I was like 13 and 14 and really getting into music, it just, her voice like haunted me. But Cheryl Crow has been, oh man, she, I don't know why it was like, she just hit me when I was probably like, super young and her first record, I actually didn't like her first record. So her biggest song, gosh, what was it? The something like LA or something. She did a lot of talk singing in it. It has leaving Las Vegas on it, whatever, whatever. She had the big, there was a really, really big song that I'm embarrassed. I don't know the title of right now, but I did. I hated that record. And I used to say, I hate Cheryl Crow. That was like, I can't even believe I'm saying those words, but I did because I didn't like the talk singing that she did. She was very talk singing on it. And I thought it was awkward. And then she put out the second self-titled record that had my favorite mistake on it. Every day is a winding road, but also like the album tracks, like ordinary morning is such a badass song. And then I dove into who she was and I found out that she was producing her own music. She played bass and guitar on it. And I just absolutely loved kind of like what we would call, you know, B-sides or like the album tracks. And, and I also was a massive I don't tell this to many people because I always feel like it's going to set some kind of expectation, but I was a massive Eric Clapton fan. So like back then I would have said Eric Clapton's my number one. And I would just like try to play guitar. I'm a terrible guitar player, but I desperately wanted to be a guitar player before everything else when I was a teenager. And finally my bass player in my band was like, uh, Danny, you're a singer. You need to just accept that. When I found out that Clapton was banging Cheryl Crow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. basically that was what I found out so I found out that he was Cheryl Crow's favorite mistake was was the rumor that I heard and I was like oh my goodness I didn't know that's who she wrote my favorite mistake about and so I like kind of became obsessed with her through my obsession with Eric Clapton Tom Petty Full Moon Fever that record was the second record I ever owned I'm too young to be like technically too young to like really dive into that kind of music. And my mom used to be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, Why are you listening to Tom Petty? Um, and I just loved every single song on that. And it was like the way Tom writes is just so like, I, I'm not trying to like dumb it down, but it's like, it is pretty simple. And, but just perfect like his storytelling and his sound all oh, the t sounds were like my favorite thing in the world and yeah and so I learned how to play you're so bad off that record and free fallen obviously and and I would just play it for days and days and days but I used to always try and like mimic exactly what they were doing and I think also like if you hear I think Cheryl Crow basically taught me how to sing because everything that I do is stolen from her so <laughs> pretty much <laughs> That's how they influence. And then Miranda Lambert's just a badass. She's like, if I could be anybody, I want to be Miranda Lambert. I love everything that she does. But, well, you know, we're kind of the same age. So I think it was more like, ah, she did it. 
Like, you know, like I just loved her so much. Yeah. We are going to play a song here before we talk about your songwriting and your shows and performances. So we're going to play She Sings off your album Undefined. Tell us a bit about the song. Oh, this song is so meaningful to me. I absolutely love it. I just, and actually timing is a little kind of perfect, but I, there were some issues being discussed. I will say I'm not a political person, not even in the slightest, but there were some issues being stuss, discussed down in the Southern States and some womenly issues. I will say it just felt like kind of crazy. And I remember being like, how is this discussion being had by non women? I think, you know what I'm uh, referring to. And yes. You know, and it was like so crazy. And so this song isn't directly about that at all, but it was like influenced because that was what was first starting the conversation. And I was just confused. I'm like, I don't want to be political, but this is madness. This is absolutely madness. And so I just started writing the song. It's a very like, I wanted it to be upbeat. I wept. I will not lie. I wept while I wrote that song. And I sat on my piano and it kind of fell out at me. And, and I have a daughter too, right? So that I kind of addressed that, but it became much more than that. It just became about me as a woman, which is not something, it sounds so silly, but it's, I've been in bands my whole life and working with bands and really it, it's a male dominated industry. And so I never really ever like thought to like, think about me as a woman. <laughs> it sounds so crazy, but like, oh, I have a voice and I can have this platform and be um, a voice for women here. And I just wanted to sing everything that I felt about that in that song. And, and a lot of it, like, is just a, almost like a prayer or a hope for my daughter and, and all of the daughters. And so that's what that song became. And it's happy. It's happy. Even though I cried when I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> well, here it is. Here is She Sings by our guest, Danny Strong. Sing out when they take your voice. Stand strong and make some noise.
you do Daughter, my hope for you is to have a choice Use your voice there is She Sings by our guest, Danny Strong. So we're going to talk about your songwriting here and your creative process. And when talking about discovering yourself during your creative process, in another interview, you did mention that there's absolutely no way to exist in the industry and stay 100% true to you and not stress about being recognized and getting signed. And mindset is so key. So you discovered that music defines you and you said, darn, well, I'm not going to stop writing songs and making music. So you had to figure out how to do it and stay inspired and keep your cup filled with joy. So how do you stay inspired and keep the joy in your career? Yeah, uh, it's such a huge thing right now. And I find, especially over the past two years, we all know what's been going on. But even prior to that, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I feel like DSP came in, right? The world of Spotify, Spotify hit and then Apple Music and, and Amazon, all this. And, and it kind of blindsided a lot of people that didn't know what it was and what it was doing. And all we were hearing is that, oh, people are, you know, you're putting music out and you're, you're not getting paid. And I mean, yeah, and there's some truth to that for sure. But but I, what I was witnessing was a lot of bitterness, a lot of people quitting. I was seeing a lot of really talented bands just giving up and quitting and just really not knowing how to navigate changes that were happening to the music industry that were exponential, like just changing so quickly. And I get it. Listen, I quit for a year. And that's when I realized oh, like music defines me. Like I literally have zero joy and I'm the happiest person I know when I'm not doing music. So let's figure out how to exist in today's current industry and be happy. Let it continue to fill my cup instead of being angry at all the situations. So for me, it was like, I really just had to figure out what part of music I loved, how to keep doing it. And and honestly, playing is, it's possible. The pandemic obviously changed that, but there were live shows. But the main thing was learning to come to terms with DSP for me. I know that's really specific. There are so many parts of this industry that indies like to be bitter about. (laughs) Like it's true. Like I'm I'm a huge indie advocate. And my main goal is to just keep indies like realizing that there's so, there is, there's so much joy. And, And DSP really kind of brought this new world to us where we could find these really unique playlists and exist on those with some work. Everything takes work, man. Everything takes a lot of work. You know, if you're willing to put in the work and and really ask these questions and dive deep in, you can exist and you can tap into these completely new worlds of music that we've never had. And so, yeah, I've just, it's been four years of deep research for me. Now, I mean, I love researching. And so it's been amazing. Like I've had my songs on movies and in that, the new world of like sync and licensing. And I wrote a song for the Toyota commercial for the Olympics, which was amazing in Beijing. And so like all of that kind of stuff is all new. It's all stuff that I had been researching for the past four years to be frank, just working nonstop and not giving up and finding those little things. And, and now I'm sharing that through Taylor entertainment and I'm just, I've never been this happy with who I am in the music industry. And you know what? I'm 39 years old and I'm pretty damn happy to be here. Even though I'm not, you know, 20 and tiny, as I say, (laughs) those days are over. I'm like, it's still happening and and it's happening late for me. and, And I'm thrilled about it. Totally thrilled. Well, we are super thrilled that you are thrilled about it and that you're still making music and that you're kicking butt in so many ways. And we're going to be talking about Taylor Entertainment here in a few minutes. In 2016, you released your debut album, Time to Breathe. And then you had your other album come out here recently, Undefined. That has gotten you many, many streams, many awards, and many recognitions, which we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes. And also your third album is going to be released this fall with your first single, Slow Down. It came out in March 2022. And we're going to be talking all about that here in a few minutes. But first, you do have a very diverse compilation of sounds, which we have (laughs) talked about and a pretty diverse character, which I absolutely love. And that's why I like talking to you all the time. So which songs out of all your records have particularly Mm -hmm. a special meaning for you? Definitely. Now, it's like special meaning or which which are my favorite songs because there's probably different like she sings is as i just said you know is, has a lot of meaning for me but it's not my favorite song on the record i usually like the ones people don't <laughs> <laughs> you know and so it's funny i always tell myself for every record 
I have to have one quote unquote Tom Petty song. So we talked about how I love Tom Petty. I always like make myself character right because I want to try. I love having different sounds and I love telling different stories. And, and sometimes that means I need to become a different character, right? Because I can't talk about loving Grant in every song, which seems to happen anyway, but it's usually like mountains or Grant. So on the first record, on my Time to Breathe record, there's a song called Hey You. And it's still to this day, my favorite song on the record. It's my, you know, the vibe, the way we recorded it, everything is like, in my mind, something Tom Petty would approve. (laughs) That one. And then there's a song on the first record called Wishing Well, the last song on the, on the record. And it's actually like, it's actually Dan Broadbeck, my producer singing it. I tricked him into that. And it's a song that I wrote (laughs) for me from my husband. (laughs) (laughs) he's a drummer and he doesn't write me any songs ever. And I was really angry, literally so mad at him one day. (laughs) And I was like, screw this. I'm going to write myself a song and I'm going to say all the things that I wish that he would say to me. And I'm going to get a guy to sing it so that it feels legit. (laughs) And so it's actually Dan singing it on the record and I just sing the backups and it's like this beautiful love song that I wrote for myself. And then on Undefined, my quote unquote Tom Petty song is called Gold Fever. I think that might be my current, still current favorite song. I actually wrote it about a book series that I was reading. It was like, I'm such a nerd, historical fiction. And it was about like the migration to California during the gold rush. And I loved it so much. And so like I did like a modern day take on it so that's that one and the new record already has its Tom Petty song I'll send it to you after this it's that the new one is called loved and (laughs) I told myself that when I was writing it that Tom Petty and Cheryl Crow were my parents and I needed to make them proud (laughs) (laughs) these are the games I play with myself when, when I'm writing music so those are definitely the ones that I love the most sonically But I mean, there's no arguing that the most meaningful, the first record would be stronger now without a doubt. The second record would be not right now. And she sings without a doubt. And the new record, Slow Down, has a very deep meaning for me. So, Well, we're going to be talking about that song. I'm playing Mm -hmm. it here in a few minutes, of course, which I'm super excited to do so. And I love the fact that you have been able to find inspiration in other people's stories and in characters <laughs> that you've come up with and even within yourself and that you were able to write a love song to yourself. I think that is just like the <laughs> coolest thing, find inspiration and turn it into a piece of art. Like that is amazing to me. Like that is talent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So you have mentioned that the hardest thing for you is as a songwriter to define your sound or your genre And you're going to record songs that mean a lot to you and hopefully others. And your goal as a writer is to give the listener something they can relate to, lean on, or find joy in. So tell us about your writing process. Mm -hmm. You do have a lot of inspirations from a lot of different places. So how do you put them into a song? I've always assumed that we're all kind of the same in that as songwriters. Like, how do these writers, like, for example, Travis Wood is like a brother to me. So I'm not sure if you know, but Travis Wood is like, one of the biggest writers from Canada in, in the country genre. And he writes the majority of like James Parker band and Rec Laws and Tim Hicks. And he's just a, and most recently, you know, Jake Owen's song up there down here is such a good song. He's so good at knowing what his lane is. And he almost as if he like studies, he probably does studies the top 10, which is a smart thing to do if that's what you want to be in and, and just knows what hits and knows what will connect with radio and and just is so really good at creating those songs. And so I do wonder, I should ask Travis if he feels the same, but for me, I have no lane. I am all over the road and gosh, maybe, maybe it's because I'm an emotional human being. And so, so it depends if I'm like a wreck that day, just dramatically writing at my piano, crying, if I really saw a sad movie or whatever. But a lot of the time, my process is uh, the same. I'm not a lyric person, which is very striking to people because I do write these emotional songs and I do write pretty intense. I'm a very positive, very outgoing person. I own it. I suck at emoting anything that's negative ever, 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 ever. And I run away from it at full speed. However, the creator in me 
and and the musician in me it definitely oozes out into my music. And so generally I love, I'm about music. So like when I listen to music, like drums and bass are like my, my all-time favorite thing. And so I love groove and I love pocket. And then, you know, so I'll just sit at the piano usually or guitar, depending on what I'm trying to write and, and just come up with like a groove or a feeling. And then I write the melody and I want the melody to have a certain flow to it, which is a dangerous way to write. Because this here comes the problem is because I'll have the music and then I will sing gibberish because I want it to have the right amount of syllables to give it a bounce or a flow. (laughs) And now I'm stuck with this, you know, the the certain amount of syllables that I'm going to now try and plug words into that makes sense. But my mind is telling me that that it must be this amount of syllables. (laughs) And, you know, and so sometimes I can like, fall in this hole and it's it's a little bit tough to write lyrics for me later and that's what I always end up making myself do sometimes I'll write lyrics first like very rarely so if I'm on tour I always have a notepad on the seat beside me and then I'll write like while I'm not looking if you've heard the song bug in the bed there's a prime example of very weird lyrics squished into a melodic form that's pretty fun. And you actually wrote two versions of your song, Mrs. Jones. So what inspired yes. you to write two versions of Mrs. Jones? Oh, my backup singer, Gina, who, you know, Gina Horswood. Yeah. Uh, she's also a songwriter and she's, she's an amazing songwriter. She's very like folk, like Americana vibe. And I wrote Mrs. Jones, which is now called Mrs. Jones, Becky on my first radio tour in 2017 in Edmonton, actually. And I just had been listening to a ton of Casey Musgraves because I just love, I love the way that she writes. She's so clever. I ended up at a hotel. I love singing in hotel bathrooms because they have those big showers and they boom. And the stupid show, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Listen, I watched it one time in my life, I admit. Is this really a thing that people watch? Like they spend how much time. (laughs) And I literally was like, I'm going to write a song and I'm going to write a song. And it was like inspired by this dumb show that I just watched, but I wanted it to have, I always tell myself, like, I always want to impress and imagine like a person that is, I'm clearly not going to talk to but I tell myself I need their approval. So usually, you know, like Tom Petty. So this one, I wanted Casey Musgraves to approve this song for me. (laughs) So, and so I just started talking about it. It was like basically keeping up with the Joneses, right? So is why it's called Mrs. Jones. And I had some fun with it. And then fast forward a year or whatever, and we're in the studio recording. It was super fun. Like I really wanted it to be a little bit of a bluegrass vibe. So we recorded it live off the floor because I wanted it to feel just fun, you know? And while we're recording it, Gina is there and she says, like in the studio, while I'm playing, not like, it's not cheap (laughs) to be at the studio I was at, like for the time that I was. And Gina's like, I've always thought this song it's really sad. She goes, it's kind of mean. <laughs> and I was like thinking about it. I was like, oh my goodness, it totally is mean. Like I'm being totally mean. I don't want to be mean. And I was like, well, let's do, let's do, let's do an empathetic version of it. And this is so typical me to like pull something out at the last minute and like throw it on my band. They've been with me for 15 years. And I'll, I clearly remember. So Dan, the producer is like, yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. And Mike is my guitar player who I've been with for like 20 years is like, he just knows me. He's like, all right, what are we doing? And I was like, okay, I wanted to have like a Marin Morris, like bones vibe. So I started seeing it. And I remember Steve, my bass player walking into the room <laughs> and he looks at Grant, my husband, the drummer, and he goes, is she rewriting the song right now? <laughs> and Grant looks at him and he rolls his eyes. He's like, yes laid it down. It was beautiful. I absolutely loved the version of it. So it's called Mrs. Jones, Evelyn. I came up with like the saddest name I could think of. No offense. That's my middle name. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Sarah. (laughs) Well, if it makes you feel any better and I'm not even lying right now, Sarah is my favorite name in the world. And every single doll and animal I had growing up was named Sarah. So they also love the song. So it's a, okay. So they're good. (laughs) (laughs) So we wrote Evelyn and I was, so we, laid it down and I was going to lay down vocals and I was using the same lyrics as Becky. I was using the same lyrics and trying to fit them into this new vibe. And it just, it was not like, if you listen to the songs, there's no way that those lyrics would fit. So I was like, man, I have to rewrite this song. And so there's the end of the day we went home. I literally did not sleep. And I sat 
at my husband's parents' house in this chair. And I wrote the lyrics that morning, went in and did the vocal session. So that is literally the craziest thing, like to just write that song in studio, write the lyrics that morning and sing them that day. And I was like, oh man, I hope this turns out okay. And sure enough, it did. And then it won uh, Best Country Song at the International Independent Music Awards. <laughs> Go, Evelyn. <laughs> Heck yes. <laughs> so let's talk about some of your performances here. So you mentioned that you do, or you have, excuse me, you have split your time between BC and Ontario over the past several years. And mm -hmm. you have been consistently praised for your performances. And you've had prestigious shows at Boots and Hearts, the Calgary Stampede, which is where I met you several years ago. Yeah. Very quick interaction. And Canadian Music Week and Burlington, Ontario Sound of Music Festival. You've opened for a wide range of country stars, including Luke Bryan, the Roadhammers, Megan Patrick and Tebe. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of your favorite gigs and your most memorable gigs. What have been some of your favorite ones? Uh, 100%. My most memorable, memorable gig was April 10th, 2015, I think, at the Phoenix Concert Theater in Toronto. First time I used my full band. So I have a nine piece band, but I definitely, you know, I don't use tracks mainly just because, you know, my band isn't, that's just not what, what we're used to. And, you know, we were a corporate band. And so, you know, I have two backup singers and a slide player and Shane Gousset on fiddle and, um, you know, my original core four, as I call them. And it's just, it's just magical to be on stage with that kind of a band and they're all monster musicians. And so that was the first time that we had done that. It was a pretty big show. It was like right after that song theft happened. And it was like, right as we were releasing the new record and my friend Zeke had brought out a lot of industry members, a bit of a showcase. I knew that it was, even though uh, I'm not sure if that was when I opened for Eli Young, but either way it was like people were in the room I was nervous as anything and it was just the best feel it was full the room was full and it was just so crazy so played bigger shows since but that was definitely the most magical and I've kept the band and you know and I look forward because October we're going to put that band back together and we're going to be playing some shows again so <laughs> So we are going to talk about some of your achievements now. Super excited to talk about this, put the spotlight on them. Yay. So as we discussed, you are a multi-award winning artist and songwriter. You got a great stage presence. Your latest album, Undefined, has over 1.3 million streams. At this point, probably a lot more than that, which is amazing. <laughs> Two international independent music awards and placements on Netflix and Amazon Prime and in commercials. You got six radio singles a nationwide tour under your belt and two international talent show appearances, a number one iTunes album, multiple <laughs> wow. songwriting awards and a song scandal. Of course, aside from your song being stolen, which you did name one of your greatest accomplishments earlier, which I love. <laughs> yeah, yes. What else do you feel has been some of your greatest work and some of your greatest achievements as an artist? Wow. I was, uh, thank you for reading all that. That made me feel like really happy there for a second. I was like, wow. As an artist, we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but you know, in the past three years, I've started my own company and that's been, that's not as an artist, but I tell the artists that I work with, you know, for me, respect was a, a big thing. It mattered to me. Now it's a different industry and to each their own. And honestly, every artist has their own journey. And it's always like the first conversation I have with any artist that I work with, you know, is what are your big dreams? And, you know, and that way I can know better how to help them achieve them. But for me, you know, it was like, I just wanted to be respected as a songwriter and as a musician. And I used to always tell myself that if the, any of the members of the Western Swing Authority <laughs> liked my music in any way, then I was doing well. <laughs> and because I just look up to them, I think they are like some of the most talented musicians in this entire country. And I always giggle, right? Because I'll send my stuff to Shane. And if Shane loves it, I always like pat myself on the back. So <laughs> it's not really those awards that I feel as a compliment accomplishments. But you know, if I if I get a compliment or a pat on the back from somebody that I really respect, that's massive for me. Or if the song I wrote has touched someone like the listener deeply because I got those messages when I released not right now and even slow down for that matter but like that that is like for me the fuel that keeps me going the awards are nice because the awards keep me in the industry you know like if 
where it helps you get a show or it helps you land certain, certain things. And I, and I understand that and I'm so grateful for it, but it's, it's definitely impacting the listeners or, you know, the people I look up to. Definitely. And that actually leads into my next question here. So music, it is very powerful as we both know, and it fills people with energy and enthusiasm and hope. And in turn, it gives us all the feeling of togetherness. And I feel like it really has over the last two years, of course, even more so, but in general, what would you like for people to take away from your music and your songs and your stories? Hmm. Honestly, if they get anything, like if they listen if it makes them dance, goodness, like that's just getting something from music. And I think my job is to not tell them how to interpret it. Right. So like, I'm a little apprehensive to tell people what, what inspired a song, because it could be something super profound to them that they assume. And, you know, and I'm going to ruin it and say it was about me being on Nashville star. Right. Like, (laughs) but like, I just want, I just want people to, to find, depending on what the song is, you know, if it's something like not right now, that was a tough song for me. That was like the most vulnerable I had ever been. And which isn't easy. And I got a lot of messages and people felt like, it really connected with them and they loved that they could have that song as an outlet for when they felt that way. I mean, that's the highest compliment and obviously my highest hope for any of this or like stronger now, or she sings for that matter. Like all that's all those like heavy songs, but also I hope that they laugh when they hear Mrs. Jones, Becky, or like, you know, like there's also those, I'm a goof, right? So I I like to have a little bit of a sassy song or a fun song or whatever. So whatever the vibe is, I hope that they catch it basically. Now, on top of your many accomplishments and achievements that you've already have, and that you are going to be getting in the future for sure, you also started your own company, Taylor Entertainment, which is radio promo, a little bit of everything for some very wonderful artists. And you've got Jordan Pollard, Angelica Mm -hmm. Appleman, and Elise Saunders, and yourself, of course, on the roster. So tell us a bit about Taylor Entertainment and how it got started for you. Oh, man. So Taylor is my married name. And my husband always laughs. He's like, why are you giving me the honor of having? (laughs) He's like, you're doing all the work. And I was like, it's for our kids, not you. (laughs) My friend Jill Snell, who is an industry mogul and, and has become a very, very, very dear friend of mine. She owns J Word Artists with Tebe. Mm-hmm. And when I first met her, she owned Road Angel Entertainment. And at the time, she it was like an artist services company, much like mine. And she took me under her wing. She was actually one of those industry people I was talking about at the show on April 10th, 2015. is where I met Jill. You know, the last thing that she needed in the world was another artist. And I actually said that to her. She's like, you're right. I don't need any more artists. But I just, I loved her so much. And we became friends. And I didn't really desire to be signed, really. I don't think in any way, like it was more just play. And so I don't think Jill felt much of a threat from me to like be begging her to like put me on the road or sign me to a label or whatever. We were just, you know, getting close. And the closer we got, you know, I was like, listening to her artists. And at the time she was working with a band you're probably familiar with the Dungarees. Actually, they were on the show too, 2015. That's probably why she was there. It's all making sense now. Um, (laughs) So I was like, just loved this band. We lived in Ontario at the time, but these boys were from Edmonton. They tipped their hat to traditional country. They would shred, had like, they would play their instruments like they used to in the nineties in country music. And I just loved that about them. And I kept like, telling Jill. So Jill was working a number of artists at the time. And I kept like just going on about the dungarees. I was like, I love these guys. They're so good. Blah, 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 blah. She's like, finally, like, she put her hands on the table. She looks at me. She's like, if you love them so much, you should work them at radio. And I was like, okay, I totally will. I was like, how do you do it? She's like, just tell them that you love them. Took me under her wing. She introduced me um, to radio and said, you know, Danny's going to be working this. And we was like, I think it was there at that time, you know, like they got some ads and did really well. And I loved it. And we loved each other. And so I worked a couple more singles for Jill. And then she kind of like her career was going, they were building J word and can't really remember the transition, but I basically asked Jill, I said, you know, do you mind, like, would you mind if I went out on my own? I'm really liking this. And she's like, yeah, absolutely. So with Jill's blessing, you know, I kind of went out on my own and then I did, I didn't, name it yet. I just, I was working the dungarees. I worked JJ Shiplet at the time. And then I believe it was when I was working JJ uh, right before I started working with Mallory Johnson that, you know, I was like, I'm going to do this. Like I'm an artist first. I have an artist's heart. I had done it a few times, like as an artist, I had to work 
in that area, like on the other side. And so I knew the struggles and I knew the questions that artists were asking and and it's a bit of a sticky industry. And I just wanted to be somebody that could be an artist's voice, you know, representing them. And so, you know, I launched Taylor Entertainment and I did it, uh, I, like I said, with JJ Shiplett and Mallory Johnson, worked one more single with the Dungarees and just fell in love. I fell in love being an, an advocate for artists that I felt just had to be heard. I'm pretty stringent for sure. Like I hate having to turn artists down, but I definitely, it's part of the job. That's the one part that I wasn't necessarily prepared for, but like, I'm always here to help and and that kind of thing. But so I've really kind of made Taylor Entertainment. I, you know, I call it an artist services company, but I basically wanted to, it goes back to the very first question, you know, keep independence inspired and keep them finding what fills their cup and however that looks. Yeah, it, a majority of it's radio promotion, but I'm helping people learn how to find their royalties. A lot of artists don't know no, and, and where to find it and how many different royalties there are and what that looks like. And have you ever thought of sync? And you ever thought of doing this and having those conversations? What's your goal? And if, and if there's like Jordan Pollard, like I know you're tight with her. And, and so, you know, she's a great example. It's like, like just listening to her talk, like, what is your ultimate dream, you know? And, and if there's ways that I can help them get there and in my main thing, and, and I mean, not to anybody, not to knock anybody that does do this, but my main thing is that I, I don't want a piece like, you know, it's a pay per service thing for me. I don't want a piece of your career. <laughs> I, I just want you to like, kind of like to be a springboard into whatever your dream is, right? If I can sit back and watch, you know, Graham Scott Fleming accept an award one day, which I think I will see, man, that's the ultimate payoff for me. It really, really is. So I'm, I'm loving it so much. <laughs> I just think that's amazing that, you know, you have that artist heart and you understand them and they understand you and communicative with them from what I've mm-hmm. heard as well, which a lot of artists do love. And mm-hmm. I do know you from, of course, your music, but also more from the radio side, because we do talk yeah. a lot about radio and we've had this conversation before. What is kind of a common misconception that a general audience, like a person just listening to the radio or a person just listening to music wouldn't expect in radio for artists. Like what's a common misconception people may think of? I think the biggest misconception, like, I mean, that I've noticed with my own like circle of friends, like radio such as Jill would call it, it's such a fickle world and it's true. And it's like, but what many, many people don't know is that you can't just give your song to radio and they play it. Like, first of all, it's like people don't know that you're technically you have to put your song into a system. So yes, you've released it and people heard it and they're like, oh, I love um, Bluebird by Miranda Lambert. And, you know, they call the station and we want to play it. But if if her team has not said to the station, Bluebird is a single, then it's not like they're just going to put it into rotation. So a lot of people don't realize the process even of going to radio and, and like putting it into the quote unquote, you know, system so that all of radio has access to it. Number one, even having access to a song does not guarantee that they're going to play it. And and if I'm going to be very frank here, if you're an independent artist, the chances are pretty slim. (laughs) The chances are pretty slim that they're going to play it. And so you know, that's my job is, is to definitely like, okay, we put it in the system, we send it out. And then, you know, it's my job to just reach out and tell you why tell radio, why they should be playing it. Why this is, here are the reasons. And here is the magic behind this artist and this song. And, and here's what's in the pipe. And, you know, these people aren't just a flash in a pan and there's some real talent here. And let me tell you their story. So that's, it's not easy. Like, I don't know if I can speak for every radio DJ with this, and you can probably also say this as well, but Mm -hmm. I mean, I am rooting for the independent artists and the emerging artists because there's so much talent out there and they will really appreciate it if we play their song. Whereas like Luke Bryan is like, cool. I got another (laughs) song on the radio, you know, It's, it's true. And that's kind of a message too, right? I love that you said that. It's like, you know, we hang on your every word. It's true. Like, so even just like feedback on a song, like even like here's our new song. This is where we're at. Like, what do you think? What do you think? We're actually listening to what you think, you know, as, as great as Luke Bryan is, he's a busy guy. I'm not sure he will care what the person in Lloyd minister says about their song, but maybe they will. <laughs> Hopefully. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hopefully he's reading those him. comments. <laughs> 
Well, Danny, it has been so wonderful talking with you this morning for One to Watch Wednesday. And of course, at the very end of this, I'm going to tell everybody where to follow you, get all of your tour dates, get all of your show dates, and get all the information about you and your songs. But right now, we have to wrap up One to Watch Wednesday with your song, Slow Down. You mentioned this is currently one of your favorite singles, and also it has a very special meaning to you. So before I play it here, tell us a bit about the song. So this song was written in the pandemic, obviously. You know, it's it's funny because I I live in British Columbia. Super fortunate. I live like in the mountains. You know, I I came out and I'm in the Rockies and I'm often walking around. And I used to always tell myself, because, you know, you'd be doing whatever you're doing or definitely, you know, you're on a mountain. So you're looking down and you're looking down. I kept catching myself just being down, looking down. This seems so silly, but it's literally what sparked the song. And I was like, man, I am missing like the most beautiful views of my entire life just by, cause I'm watching like where I'm putting my feet. And, and so I was like, oh, I should write a song one day. It's like, lift your eyes, you know, and, and taking the beauty was kind of what I was thinking. And then I'll, I'll be completely honest here too. I'll, I'll, I'll overshare and tell you guys a real look into my personal life. And so, yeah, so two years of pandemic is not easy on anybody, obviously. And I think we all know that everybody struggled and, yeah, I mean, you know, it was tough on my husband and I, and we were just like, yeah, you're fighting, you're doing whatever, just like, oh man. And I remember like thinking, I was like, man, I gotta like, what was like the best times we had? We were talking about it. And, and we had gone up to this, like the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. It was like two hours up a logging road. There was nobody there. And it was like the first time Grant and I had ever, he hates camping. He's a city boy from Toronto. So, you know, I like dragged him out there and it was like, literally the most stunning place I had ever seen in my life. And I was like, oh man, I want to get back to like that. Like it was like when we were kids again, it was like when we first met and we first got married and that's kind of where the chorus came from. Right. And, and it was like just that, well, actually the whole song is based on just getting back to like those butterflies, you know, when you first start dating, no better feeling in the world. It's like butterflies all the time. And I just loved thinking about it. And so I wrote it. And then the bridge of the song mentions a black and white photograph of a sunflower girl that we can't get back. And that is referencing as I was writing the song, I was in my room and I'm sitting at my piano and I was like trying to write the bridge. And I looked to my left and there was a picture of Candace and I, and Candace is uh, my best friend that I was telling you about that passed away. And I was like, oh man, like if we should ever slow down and like take in these beautiful moments, it's like, you know, she'd be the one to tell me that. And so, you know, that's the bridge is kind of just tipping my hat to Candace, which yeah, which I had never done in a song yet. And I had always wanted to. So just a really special song. And honestly, I live life really fast. I'm a glutton for experience and a glutton for adventure. And I own that. But sometimes I definitely miss too much. And I think that I'm experiencing things, but I'm not, I'm just flying through them. And so, you know, as a mother and a wife, that, you know, just kept being like, okay, when am I going to get out on the road? When am I going to do this? Like, I mean, if you watch my socials, you know, that's who I am. It's like, this was a reminder to me. This was a reminder that I really needed for myself, but I felt could be relatable to others. Well, I absolutely love it. And I know the audience is going to as well. So before I played here, introduce it for us. This is Danny Strong. And here is my new single, Slow Down. Hit the dirt, get the back road view I want to be with you Just be with you Find a place straight out of the book Stars everywhere that we look I want to love on you Just love on you Like the good old days Been gone for a while But we're bringing them back now Like the butterflies Choose. 
guest Danny Strong with her latest slow down and a few minutes ago you also heard her song she sings both of those songs and all of her music is available right now wherever you buy download or stream your music you can also find Danny Strong on all social media platforms and on dannystrong.com to follow along on her very exciting and very promising musical journey a massive, massive thank you going out to Danny for hanging out this week on One to Watch Wednesday. That was a total blast. Girl, you are invited back anytime. That is your One to Watch Wednesday for this week. And if you need more Studio B to tide you over before next week's One to Watch Wednesday, check out my new series also under Studio B podcast called Summer Sessions. It is putting the spotlight on Alberta, independent and smaller music festivals, series and live music events for summer 2022. Those episodes can be found anywhere you get your podcasts under Studio B Podcast. My name is Sarah Scott. Thanks so much for hanging out this week and have a great rest of your day. (laughs) 